everyone. Happy Sunday. We're going to continue in our series on the fundamentals of the faith. If you have your workbooks, uh, turn to page 65. One of the things that I, um, I don't think we've emphasized is you can see right in those introductory pages, there are some audios of some sermons by John MacArthur that accompany these. I'd almost forgotten about them. And they're really helpful, so I want to make sure that you see those and, uh, and take advantage of those. They're very, very edifying and strengthening. Well, today's, uh, this lesson's memory verse may be familiar to you, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And that's the day of Christ's return. So I think that leads to a question today. Why, why are you here today? Why are you here today? Why am I here today? I think mainly for this purpose. Assembling together, not just to sit passively and to learn, although it's important for us to learn the word of God, but to encourage one another, to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Another verse in Hebrews talks about that, that we are to encourage one another day after day, right, so that our hearts are not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And I think we see this in our world. I, one of the things I was thinking about as I, um, as I looked at this verse, this verse was mightily, this, this concept, this, this uh this command from our Lord was mightily challenged during COVID, wasn't it? Right? Um, and in, in some ways, uh, many in the church have not recovered, right? Notice it uses the word habit. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. I think you found that when we find that when we um, are not intentional about carrying a habit, the opposite habit takes hold. And so I found that many precious friends and, and, and brothers and sisters in Christ have gone into the habit of not assembling together. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that. That's kind of been a trend in, in America uh, over these past number of years. And uh, we pray, we pray against that, and we, and we seek um, to follow God's design. Uh, how many of you have seen the movie Essential Church, the documentary? If you haven't seen it, I really recommend it. It's really the story of Grace Community Church um, in 2020 and how they handled the government restrictions um, and how they sought to be faithful, right? So we have a couple things to balance there, to be faithful to this command of our Lord. And yet, what place is there of respect for government authorities? These are, these are things to walk in wisdom in and how they sorted that through and how they worked and actually ended up having to, to sue the government who was preventing them from doing this. Um, really, really interesting as, as um, I think the, the, the pastors and elders there had to walk through some new territory and it really changed their view based on what they saw in scripture. So great example there. If you haven't seen that, um, I, would, I would recommend it. One of the things that we notice about the church is, uh, have you ever heard the concepts of the visible and the invisible church? You familiar with that? So the visible church is the church that we see. It's the assembled church that we see gathered here and gathered in various places around the world, right? I think we know from the scriptures that in the assembled church, the visible church, some are believers, some are not. We don't know, right? Sometimes only the Lord knows that, right? The invisible church is, the, is God's people across all time, all peoples, Right? That's assembling today at various times and, and, and is, um, has been doing so for centuries. And we get to be a part of that. So it's really exciting as we, as we unfold these concepts today. Um, we'll be talking about the spiritual reality of the invisible church and how it plays out in the visible church, us today. Okay? All right. I thought this verse was important for us to look at today. What is the church? What is the church? First Peter 2 has some verses that instruct us as to what it is. And coming to him, that is Christ, as a living stone which has been rejected by men, 
but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen family, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. These are verses which are very present in my mind because they're quoting from the book of Exodus, which is where we are in Iron Man right now. We recognize that God has called a people for a particular purpose. He has, he's not only birthed us individually as Christians, but has birthed a new people. So before we continue, let me pray for us. Father, we pray that we would understand the true nature of the church, that you have caused us individually, if we are in Christ, to be born again, and you've birthed us into a new people, that we would see and seek Christ as the head of the church, that we would understand the need for fellowship and its spiritual reality, Father, and that we would have wisdom and understanding to know and use our spiritual gifts as we explore that over the next couple of weeks. Father, we marvel at the beauty and glory of your design for your church. May you captivate our hearts today and inflame our affections for greater service to your glory. Give us a vision of Christ for the church. Amen. Amen. So, in your notes, in your book, John MacArthur says this, the church is not a physical building. I think we've seen that in the verses that we just looked at, right? The church is not a physical building, but a group of believers, not a denomination, sect, or association, but a communion, a fellowship that includes believers. And as we talked about the distinction between the visible and the invisible church, I remember traveling with my son, Seth, uh, a number of years back, our, our oldest daughter, Lauren, went to school in Tennessee. That's a long trip. And I would notice as we were taking this 13-hour drive that we'd see more and more churches. And I remember saying to my son, Seth, I said, wow, there's a lot more churches the further south you go. He said, Dad, they're church buildings. They may or may not be churches. Good point. Good point. So we understand the distinction between, um, between churches and church buildings, right? There's the spiritual reality and the visible reality, which sometimes overlap, but not always, okay? This isn't in your notes, at least part of it is, but I think uh, I really encourage you, particularly as we explore spiritual gifts in the next couple of weeks, to spend some time in Ephesians 4, particularly these verses. To me, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 describe most succinctly God's design for the church. So listen closely as I read this, these for us. And he himself gave some as apostles and some as prophets as, and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body being joined and held together by what every joint supplies according to the properly measured working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This displays for us the perfection, I think, of God's design. It's from Christ, it's through Christ, and it's to Christ. As we've seen in Romans eight twenty nine, 
God's design for each individual, individual believer is that we be conformed to the image of Christ. His design for the, so that's individually, but God's design is that we corporately be conformed into the image of Christ and reflect him. So that's why I pray and I think about a, a vision of Christ toward the church. One of the things that I marvel at, and we'll get into this in the next couple of weeks, as we talk about spiritual gifts, no one person has all the spiritual gifts, right? And this is by design because Christ is complete and full and has everything, but each of us does not. But corporately, we are to reflect that. One of the things we think about when we think about the church, the church is, there are some things about it that are organized. We're going to talk about that today. But it's more of an organism than an organization, right? An organism is a living thing, right? An organization is not necessarily. So I encourage you to think about this because so much here in this country, I think we have in some sectors, uh, an inordinate influence of the corporate world on the church. Often, I think, to its detriment, right? The church is not an organization, it's an organism. And I'll say this boldly, I think the church has much more to teach the corporate world than the corporate world has to teach the church. A lot of people aren't clear about that. That's not to, de to deny the imperfections that we see in both, right? I got to be honest with you, though, the longer I've been in corporate life, no offense, the less impressed I get. And I say, I do not want to reflect that in my life, right? Certainly not in my church. Not that we don't see common wisdom and common grace. But again, we, we want to understand the nature of what the church is. It is an organism with Christ. It's a living organism with Christ as the head. Jesus said this, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. It's incredible to think about that, right? The church is the only human institution that God has promised to bless, right? He will do it. So a couple applications here to think about. I think we need to be really careful about how we talk about his church. Anybody like me struggle with a critical spirit? It's not a spiritual gift, by the way. It seems like it, um, but it's not. And so I have found over time that it's been easy for me to criticize churches, individual churches, or the church as a whole. Well, the church does this. The church, you know, the church is the bride of Christ, and it is the only institution that Christ has promised to bless. And so um, as a former pastor of mine once said, we don't advocate wife beating, meaning we don't beat up verbally on Christ's bride, the church. We be very careful about how we talk about Christ's church. And so I'm, I'm preaching that to myself, and I would, I would advocate that you think about that as well, right? The church, with all its imperfections, still is the bride of Christ, and he's patiently growing it into his image, right? Um, I even see, boy, I'm tempted to go down this rabbit hole, but I won't. In professing uh, Christian leaders, particularly more visible ones, they tend to um, criticize Bible-believing Christians, right, and, and apologize to unbelievers for the church. Now, if there are things that we genuinely need to repent of, that's fine, but we don't repent of being biblical and calling people to repentance. And I'm noticing some public pastors, I'll say one of them like Andy Stanley and others, right, apologizing for the church being faithful. Right? No. No, we don't do that. If we're being faithful and biblical, there's no need to apologize for that. However, if we are being sinful, we get to demonstrate repentance and faith individually to people. I'll, I'll say this. I, I had a friend of mine once, once say that um, in a conversation with some of their coworkers, said, oh, I, well, I really blew my testimony. I, I sinned in this way, and, and, and I'm a Christian, and they know that. Um, and I said, well, what an opportunity to display the gospel. Responding to God is about repentance and faith. You get to demonstrate what that looks like, humbly, right? People don't apologize and own their mistakes and sin, generally, right? As I've often told my kids, there are many people who would rather die than admit they were wrong about anything. So if we as Christians, when we fail, and we do and we will, 
get to own up to that. I found that just apologizing, asking for forgiveness, it's not normal. People, they're very disarmed by that. Well, well of course, yeah. Um, and uh, that's the reality of, of Proverbs 20, uh, 28, 13. Yeah. Uh, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. And I think that's true both of believers and unbelievers. So we're, we own up to that. And we demonstrate something in Christ. So our outline today, if you have your books, you can follow along. I'm not going to give you all the fill in the banks. I'll let you work that. We'll give you some of them. Um, we're just going to walk this through. We'll talk about the universal church, um, the, the spiritual reality of that, the local church, how that plays itself out, um, fellowship, worship, ordinances, and some words on application. So we've got a lot of ground to cover today. Because we're going to extend the next two weeks into spiritual gifts, which overlaps with this, I don't necessarily feel the need to get through all the slides today. So whatever I don't get through today, we'll kind of continue and overlap in the next week. Fair enough? Okay. But we are going to be going pretty quick. As I've often said, though, um, interruptions are welcome. Let, let's interact together. So feel free to raise your hand at any time, uh, and we'll interact together, okay? And if, if, and if that applies to a, a question at the end, I'll just defer to that, but... Feel free to interrupt me at any time. Thanks. So, the universal church, Christ, is the eternal head of the church. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. We'll get, we'll get more into this, but think about what happens to your body if it doesn't follow the, follow the instructions from the head. Chaos. From what I understand, I'm no medical expert, but from what I understand, part of what happens with cancers is when those cells go rogue. They stop following the instructions from the head, and bad things happen. I think there's an illustration for us as individual believers that we, rem we maintain our connection to our head, both individually and corporately. We read earlier in Ephesians 4 about each individual doing its part. We read about encouraging one another day by day, right? Stimulating one another to love and good works. How do we do that? Well, in our spiritual disciplines of our time in the word and prayer every day, and then that impacts what we bring to one another. We don't just walk with our Lord for our own sake. We do it for one another. I think you've seen this in the reality of small groups. You know, Mike, you come to the small group, you, God's given you something in your time with the Lord that I need to hear, and vice versa. And hopefully you're seeing that dynamic. Let the word of Christ, it says in Colossians 3, dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. So we have a responsibility there, a beautiful responsibility to draw close to Christ together. Ephesians 1, 22 through 23. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Do you find this hard to believe? Look at the church as it's expressed in us and around the world. Is it obvious that we are the fullness of him who's filling us? Why not all the time, if we're honest? So this is a spiritual reality that we have to accept by faith that God is growing us into. Some of you heard me say that, uh, you know, as Christians, we are justified by faith in Christ, so we're declared righteous before God. Then we're sanctified, right? We are growing into that reality in our everyday lives, and finally we'll be glorified. This thing in the middle called sanctification, not going fast enough for me, right? But to God be the glory, right? Because we as his body are growing into his image, however slowly. Imagine if we were perfect now, right? Pride would creep in, perhaps. Because it's slow, because it's progressive, because we get to demonstrate repentance and faith, to God be the glory, right? You see the attention is directed to him. Mike. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That, that is really well said, Mike. So if you didn't hear that, it says it's our participation, but it's his power. Amen. Amen. Christ purchased the church. Acts 20, 28. Be on guard for yourselves, Paul said to the early leaders. Um, for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Yeah. So the cost of our individual salvation is his blood, right? Um, you've been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is the living and abiding word of God and, and the blood of Christ. All these things are expressed in scriptures, right? In the scriptures. He purchased us. This is, again, why we value and speak well of his church and why spiritual leadership of deacons, uh, of elders, deacons, overseers, is so important because they don't ultimately belong to them. They belong to him. It's a sacred, sacred stewardship. Um. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, also in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, I encourage you to write those down. I'll, I'll list them again. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, and 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, tell us that we've, bought, we've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And that has implications for us in our personal holiness and in our holiness as his people. So, how does a person become a member of the body of Christ? There's two things that are in your workbook that are wonderful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. So, we're, we've been called by God into his body. Um, I hope you understand that when you become a Christian, you become part of a family. Right? It's not an individual thing. It's not a solo thing. Right? So important for us to remember in American culture where we tend to be so independent. I fight this every day. There's this wonderful inter interdependence that God has for us. We're called together in one body. And, of course, we know uh, from the scriptures that when, when we see the word call, that's the effectual call of God. It's not just inviting, it's making it happen. If we've been called into one body, he has brought us, he has drawn us to himself. Also, we see um, we've been baptized, baptized into one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For also by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. You know, as I read that, I'm reminded of a beautiful um, passage in Colossians. Um, let's look at this a little bit. So um, in Ephesians 4.24, it mentions that um, uh, we are to be renewed uh, in the spirit of our minds, and it says to put on the new man which... In the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So there's a sense in which God has created a new man in us and, and as a body. Interesting, you, for, you fast forward to Colossians 3. I think it's around verse 10. Where it says, um, starting at verse 9. Do not lie to one another since you put off the old man with his evil practices and have put on the new man who is being renewed to a full knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. What do we see here? From those two verses, the new man has been created and is being renewed, right? So there's a, there's a spiritual reality of God doing something permanent, but it's playing itself out in time. And you notice the, the great unity. Our identity is not physical, but it's spiritual. Glenda. What is the benefit 
of not forsaking our own assembling together. Yeah. Yeah. I'll start with, I think, what's the downside of not doing that, right? Um, as, we, as I mentioned before, in Hebrews, I think it's in Hebrews 3, encourage one another day after day so that we're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, right? So maintaining our fire, our passion for the Lord requires us to be together and encourage one another. I would say that. Um, Jesus said, um, I have a reference somewhere here, that uh, in, the, in the last days, because, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Are we noticing this? Right? Yeah. And so to keep that fire going requires us to assemble together. Also, the phrase stimulate to love and good deeds, I need this accountability. I need this challenge, right? I need brothers to admonish and reprove me where I'm going astray. I need that. This is not optional, right? It's not a matter of if, if you need it. Um, you do need it. You need to both be willing to give it and to receive it, right? The Word of God, what does it say in, in 2, Corinthians, 2 Timothy 3.16? All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. Look, notice the next two things. Reproof, correction, and training. Let's not forget those, those two in the middle that we don't like. So we need that. Mike. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what happened here. There's a lot I could. Uh, I don't know what happened. There's a lot I could say about that. There we go. Um, prop. Yeah. That's right. What we bring to to one another. Yeah. Proverbs eighteen one says that he who separates himself or is isolated, right, um, seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. God has not designed us to live that way. But it's so easy to do. And I've seen this happen to so many people, right, as they just begin to separate themselves. It's not long um, before they compromise and are weakened spiritually. Um, this is why it needs to be constant. Cheryl. Yeah. 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 That's a great point, Cheryl. I'm so glad you you all are bringing this up. Um, I've just noticed it, it scared me enough. You know, uh, there are people that I know, even even people in this room who had spent some time uh, that that I know personally who had spent some time isolated, and God mercifully brought them back. It was painful, really, really painful. Um, when we think about the concept, we're covering a lot of ground here, but, but I love it, and, and thank you, Lord, for bringing this up. We think about the concept of church discipline, right? If anyone sins, go and reprove them in private, and we see that whole, that whole sequence in Matthew 18. And then, and then if, if they don't listen to you, bring two or three. If they don't listen to you, bring it to the church, and then there's a, a, a casting out of fellowship. We think of church discipline as that last step, but it's all of them. If brothers and sisters, if we're faithful, church discipline is happening every day. Maybe not every day, but, but consistently, right? I am sharpened. I am challenged. I, I, have, I have received some stinging rebukes, and, and I continue to. This is, 
I have to to grow, right? Um, that have really hurt but have been so life-giving and so important to my spiritual growth. Um, brothers and sisters, let's make it easy on one another. It's hard, I think, particularly in this culture, to both give and receive reproof. Better is open rebuke, Proverbs 27.5 says, better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. I think we can make this easier on ourselves by inviting it. People are very hesitant. I think I'm not that hesitant. I'm probably too quick to do it. But most people are hesitant to, to bring, uh, to confront. Let's invite it. Brother, sister, what, 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 what do you see in me um, that, that, that needs to change? Have you seen any sin in me? I'll throw it out there right now. I, I'm teaching you today. Um, fire away after I'm done if there's anything that, I, that, I, that has not been accurate or, or wrong. Or, I mean, you have the complete green light to do that, to talk to me about that. I'm not going to get everything right. So this is just the rhythm. It's not normal in our culture, but Cheryl, I think you would agree, it needs to be normal in our lives as believers. Tina. Yeah. 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 Yeah, having that rhythm in our relationships that we, that, that's an expression of love. So I'll give an example. I, I, I think I shared it with the men last Tuesday at, at Ironman. Um, Betty's really good at this with me. She, she said to me not that long ago, why do you act as if it's all up to you? Nailed, right? Well, that hurt. Well, isn't it? Of course not. But when, but when you put it that way, I realize... Um, yes, Jody. We blame, we defend, we give a good image, yeah. 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 Hmm. Hmm. We defend ourselves, yeah. Yeah. So I can see we're not going to get through all the slides, but this is an important topic. I really, I really appreciate this. This is so, so important. Um... Look with me at Proverbs 3, if you would. This, uh, this tells us a lot. These are, Proverbs 3 is a, a sequence of verses that are repeated in the, in the New Testament um, in various places. Actually, I'll quote Proverbs 6.23 first. For the commandment is a, uh, um, yeah, 6.23. For the commandment is a lamp and, and the law is a light and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Reproof is the way of life. We don't think about that a lot. So I think what, I think what the Lord is, I think, impressing on our hearts here today is that we have honest, real, transparent conversations with one another. And, 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 I, and I'm not coming down on you all. I mean, I'm just saying that this is happening. I, I, I know a lot of you, and we've had them. But let's make sure that we're faithful uh, to have those. Jody, to your point, one of the things that... Um, Repentance is kind of a bad word, right? We see it as a negative. 
Proverbs 3, I think, helps us with this. Um, well, I'm going to start with verse 5, a uh, familiar verse. And, and notice this sequence. It was really interesting. I remember one time reading through Proverbs here, and I realized I had memorized each of these couplets separately, and I didn't realize they were all together in one place. It was beautiful. Um, Proverbs 3, trust in Yahweh with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear Yahweh and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Fear Yahweh and turn away from evil. That's repentance, is it not? It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. In Acts, I think in Acts 2, it says, Repent and return that times of refreshing may come to you from the presence of the Lord. And I want us to, to, to always equate repentance with refreshing because that's God's plan, right? When we, when we turn from sin and turn to God, wouldn't we expect that? Wouldn't we expect that? Turn from those things that displease him and toward the things that do. But we need one another's help to do that. I've got blind spots. How about you? So, um, thank you for that. Um, where were we? That's fine. Go ahead, Glenda. Yeah. Yeah, and the scriptures say that we cannot say, the different body parts can't say, I don't need you. We need each other. We're going to really get into this in the next couple of weeks. But you notice in that, that what it said there in Ephesians 4.15, through the proper working of each individual part causes the building up of the body for its growth in love, right? We have an individual and a corporate responsibility. I really appreciate you guys bringing this up. A couple things here real quick. Uh, how was it illustrated? Back in, the, um, uh, back in the New Testament, right? It was first in local homes, right? Not these ornate buildings, right? And then on Sunday, they met the first day of the week. So that's just a pattern that we see in the scriptures. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm really, really uncomfortable when I go into a church building that has ornate decorations. Now, we as Protestants don't tend to have that, right? Um, but I just wonder if that's a distraction from the real glory of what God is doing. You know, the temple is not physical, right? I think we established that. We are living stones being built up into a house. Let's never lose sight of that. Um, I was, you know, I was thinking about, um, I, I've gone through two different churches that had building programs, and the contrast couldn't have been more stark. Um, one of them uh, was, well, you know, if we just had a building, we'd be able to do so much more. And the focus was on the building. And I remember thinking, and I was, I was, I was on the leadership team at that point, I said, I, I think that if we're, we need to focus on being strong in the spiritual building and how we lead a building won't solve that if we're not doing that. Right? Fast forward to another church plant that I was part of. And, and, and by the way, that church still doesn't have a building. It's been decades. Now, uh, I, I fast forward to a church plant that I was part of, and we were able to get a building relatively quickly, and there wasn't even an emphasis on it. It, it was almost secondary. Like, this would make things easier, but this isn't going to hinder our ministry. And in fact... They named the building a different name than the church because they wanted that to be really clear. This building is not the church. And I really, really appreciated that. Um, and so let's, let's be really clear on that. I, and I also remember seeing, not to be critical, no, maybe to be a little bit critical. I remember seeing um, a church years ago um, in New Jersey that built a beautiful facility um, that God has apparently blessed. But once they built it, they kept sending out pictures of the building, and there's not a person in the picture. 
And I remember thinking, that's not the church. Why isn't there a crowd of people in front of this building? I just thought that was really interesting. That just shows our humanness, right, to have our focus on the wrong place. Okay, so I probably took that one a little too far, didn't I? Okay, how's it organized? So I mentioned earlier that um, the church is an organism, not an organization, but God has given us some parameters to follow in terms of organization. This is part of his design. And so he's given us certain leadership functions. We see that in Ephesians 4. And he himself gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Really interesting. Notice what the gifts are here. The gifts are people, right? God has given gifted men to the church to equip for his work. Really, really interesting. And so we trust in God's sovereignty to give us those people. And it's, our, and it's our, of our, to our benefit to acknowledge and, and to submit to that role, right? And we'll get into that in the next slide. Um, God has given, given people to the church to lead it. And, the, and it's two roles, right? Um, we see this in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and Acts 6. Um, and I'll just kind of go through these relatively quickly. Um, these, are, these are the roles of elder, who are the spiritual overseers, and deacon, who are the servants, right? All of them, the main qualification, um, as you look at that, is character. Character. Not skill, it's character, right? Elders, just one gift, they're to be gifted in teaching, right? That's the single skill, if you will, part of it. Um, and deacons are enabling uh, the elders and others by, by serving. This is where I go back to organism versus organization. How many of you have seen churches where they put people in leadership? Maybe not. They'll use different terminology than elders and deacons. They'll maybe create something else, a board that's not really biblical, and it'll be, be people who are successful in the corporate world or prominent in some way, right? How does that work out? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Um, yeah, uh, God's design for his church is very different, very different. So we look at their character and the outcome of their lives and not just the outward appearance. So important in Christ's church, so important. And then we're organized in our assembly, right? Um, as we said, we, we assemble together. We don't forsake our own assembly together. I think we've talked a lot more about that. So thank you, Glenda, for uh, you were ahead of schedule here with your question. So, so thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, and then the other way they're organized is by submitting. Hebrews 13 gives us some real, um, real important instruction. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you and considering... The result of their conduct, or as it says in the New American Standard, the outcome of their lives, we are to be observant, right? Considering that, imitate their faith. I'm going to stop right there. Does that mean we imitate everything? Paul said this, follow me as I follow Christ. This may be a shock to you, but none of us have perfect leaders, right? To God be the glory. So what this means is even Paul, as an apostle, said, follow me as I follow Christ, implying that to the extent that I'm following Christ, follow me. To the extent that I'm not, don't. We're to be very observant, right? We think of the Bereans, right? He said that, that uh, Paul said they were more noble because they didn't take Paul's word for it. They examined the scriptures to see, daily, to see if what Paul was saying was true because Christ not Paul or any other leader is head of the church, right? So, so you get that. So considering the result of our conduct, we're to be observant, imitate their faith, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they will do this with joy and not with groaning, for this would be unprofitable for you. Uh, we need to look for every opportunity 
to acknowledge God's sovereignty and the leaders that he's given us and, and obey their guidance and instruction. Um, I'll give a, a little example of this. I remember um, when, when COVID first hit in March of 2020, we had just become members here, and then the next week, everything was shut down. And there was a lot of angst about how do we keep our people safe, right? And the, and the, and the pastors and elders were, were working this through, very difficult, trying to navigate with wisdom, what do we do? A couple things I remember from that. Week one, when Pastor Bobby was up here preaching to an empty assembly, what was that like? That must have been strange, huh? Very strange. You had to kind of play a mind game with yourself. I remember specifically, I think it was that first week, Pastor, you said, just so you know, this online thing, this is not the church. Just set the tone. This is not church. We're doing what we can right now, but until we're assembled together, this is not church. I remember some, some folks in the church would complain to me, which is interesting, I, I said about, well, you know, I don't, I don't appreciate how the, how the elders are handling things, right? They, uh, um, they're too closed or they're not opening, you know, they're, they're not opening up enough or they open, are opening too much as we navigated through that. And I, and I gave this verse to them. I said, first of all, don't talk to me, talk to them. But recognize that they're not asking you to do anything unbiblical. They're, they're guiding us. This is very difficult for them. Obey their instruction with joy because that's who God is giving you, right? And I praise the Lord. That was not easy for you all. I, I see pastor here. I thought I saw Greg around. Um, for you guys, man, I know this was not easy for you. Um, and, and I remember Pastor Dave um, gave a sermon about, from Romans 14, about how we navigate issues of conscience. We're not always going to agree on vaccines and, and masks and all of that, but we're not going to make issues of that. We're, through love, going to serve one another. There's some, I, I know I'm wandering a little bit. All that to say, it was a joy to submit to you in this because we knew that you had our best interest at heart, and I really appreciate um, how you led us biblically, and it was a joy to do that. We're not always going to agree. We'd say, well, I, won't, I, I wouldn't do it that way. If it's, not, if, it's, if it's not unbiblical, do it, right? This is God's design for us, and to do it, it's a joy for us, for us and for them to do that. Okay, I'm getting on a couple hobby horses here, but I, I really, I just, I just want to say I just so appreciate the example that's been set. Unity in the church. This is huge, and uh, we may not get past this. Um, unity in the church. Is the, is the church yet unified the way God wants it to be? It's not. I hope we're trending positively, but sometimes I really have my doubts. Um, not necessarily here, but in the broader church. That's one of the big criticisms of the visible church. Jesus prayed to his Father, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, that is, his disciples in front of them, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus prayed for you and I. Are his prayers always answered? Yeah. Yeah, so God's true people will grow in unity. Someone said to me last week, it was really encouraging, someone who's relatively new to Calvary. She said, you know, I just observe this church and I see all kinds of people, all kinds of ages, all kinds of ethnicities, socioeconomic backgrounds, loving each other, being in unity. That's not normal from a worldly perspective. I think the church, people should look at the church and say, why are these people even together? They don't really have anything in common except Christ. Would we even be together, some of us, if it weren't for Christ? I think the answer is no. It's a beautiful thing. So, as I mentioned, Jesus prayed for us as believers and his purposes are always, always fulfilled. 
at a couple passages with me. Um, these are kind of your key passages um, that speak to us about unity. Let's look at Ephesians 4. I want to spend a little time in Ephesians 4 and Philippians 2. Turn with me. Turn there or take out your device and let's look there together. Ephesians 4, um, I'll read verses 1 through 6. Therefore I, uh, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One, one, one. This is the spiritual reality that we are one in Christ that isn't always obvious in how we live it out. Right? We do have conflict, do we not? We do. That's why verse 3 is there for us, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. So much I could say here, Colossians 3, we looked at, uh, he has created us into a new people in which there is no distinction between all of these types of groups, right? When we emphasize the distinctions, I think we're disobedient to the Lord, right? Not that our backgrounds aren't important, God has created those but they are not primary. If you find your individual or corporate identity in anything other than Christ, brothers and sisters, you are sinning. You are disobeying what God has told us to do. Philippians 2. And this is beautiful. I, I pray this regularly for our leaders and for us. Philippians 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, fulfill my joy that you think the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in Spirit, thinking on one purpose, doing nothing from selfishness, from selfish ambition or vain glory, but with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others, and then it goes on, right? Have this way of thinking, have the mind of Christ, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to talk about what he did. Where does unity come from? Christ and his example, right? Comes from him. The unity of the spirit, and the bond of peace. From the Trinity. Think how unified the Trinity is. They are of one mind. Right, And so we derive our unity from him. Notice what happens here. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any, any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of one spirit, any affection and compassion, derive that in your own personal life, right? Fulfill my joy that you think the same way. In other words, we're taking the spiritual realities of him and our walk with him and we're living that out with one another. So I'd put it this way, unity with one another does not come by focusing on each other. Isn't that interesting? It's counterintuitive. But on the God who unifies. I, I, I was in a fellowship not that long ago, which for the sake of unity said, we gotta, we gotta focus on each other. We gotta hear one another's stories. Just, it's all horizontal. It blew up. It got so much worse. Who are we focusing on? Who is being worshipped? Right? We're making ourselves. God, God has given us this glorious gospel. He's given us a vision of him for the church. How dare we make it about ourselves? That's what the world does. Yeah. Get sucked into it. That's happening all over, folks. It's happening all over. We are inverting the first and the second commandment. There's a lot I could say here. Um, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just end with this last verse, and we're going to continue some of these slides next week. I've got to figure out how to do that. But I really appreciate the inter- interruptions. I think it really has been of the Lord. Look at 1 John 5 with me. Um, we'll, we'll end with this. It's so important that we recognize the spiritual reality of fellowship, right? God has called us into one body. He's baptized us into one body. Fellowship isn't something that we make happen. Fellowship is a spiritual reality for us who are in Christ that we get to live out. Does that make sense? Right? So fellowship is different than friendship. Right? We can have friendship with people in the world, but in the truest sense, we can't have fellowship. What fellowship have light and darkness, the scriptures say? What fellowship have Christ and Satan? We have, we have different origins. We have different births. We have different parents. Right? So this is a spiritual reality, brothers and sisters, that we get to live out. It's, it's just so beautiful. And I just pray that God captivates our hearts with this. 1 John 5, starting verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the one who gives new birth loves also the one who has been born of him. Right? As it says earlier in 1 John, you can't love God and hate your brother. Those don't go together. Right? Now, as a kid, I, I, have, I don't have any uh, biological brothers. I have, I have two sisters. And I, that was my excuse. Well, it doesn't say sisters. I can hate on my sisters. It doesn't work like that. Right? If we love God, we love those also who have been born of him. Brothers, this is challenging for us, is it not? Right? When we sin against one another, when we fail each other, I remember a Sunday school class a few years ago where uh, we were talking about trials in relationships, and, um, and uh, one, of the, one of the young ladies said, and, and we provide this challenge for one another. I don't know if you realize how sanctifying my sin is to you. You get what I'm saying, right? When we fail each other, that is an opportunity for sanctification. That's a trial that God, God can use. So it's not, not, not really a gift that we give, if you will, but it's God's work in us. So um, he loves the one who gives new birth, loves also the one who has been born of him. By this, notice the wording here, listen carefully. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God... And do his commandments. That is so interesting. How do we know that we love one another? By our love for him. I was actually at a conference once where the speaker said, from this passage, I think it's in my notes here, um, we love God by loving one another. That sounds good, doesn't it? Right, Eric, you get it, right? That's the opposite of what this says. Again, this is counterintuitive. I love you by not making you the first priority, but by making him the first priority. Isn't that interesting? That's how awesome our Lord is. I can't love you any better than by loving him first. Right? Or as I like to say, we love others best by putting him first. I hope you've seen in the scope of this lesson so far that God's design for the church is very different than that of the world and very counterintuitive for what we might otherwise think. We're going to continue this the next couple weeks. I'm not sure how this is going to go. Um, But I'm glad we have a couple more weeks to explore this and explore spiritual gifts. And I really, I I praise God and thank you uh, for your uh, your questions and your interruptions. I think maybe we have 30 seconds. I'm going to pray. All right. Thank you. Father, we praise you for just the... The beautiful design for your church. And why is it so beautiful? Because it is a vision of Christ. Father, we are so flawed. We are so 
our, our instincts and our intuitions, our selfishness goes so much against this. And so we want our minds to change. We want to repent of ways that we have not loved one another well, um, of ways that we have sinned against one another. We put ourselves first and not you first. Father, we confess that to you. We repent of that. We ask that you would bring us to a new in a different place. We thank you for the unity that we have here at Calvary, the things that you have built and are building. And I pray that in you, as your word says, that we would excel still more to your glory and to our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.